We've been in our masterclass series for the month, loving it so far. Yes? Just me? Okay, yeah, it's been so good. Pastor Jim kicked us off two weeks ago, right, with our, our masterclass series talking about salvation, and then Pastor Bailey brought the house down last Sunday. Uh, so good if you were with us in person or I'm sure on, online. Just such a great, powerful response to that last week. And so now the baton has been passed to me, and I'm really excited. I'll be honest, when my dad told me about this series, my first thought was, I don't think I'm a master of anything yet. I feel like it's hard to be younger in life and call yourself a master. So I'm not claiming to be a master of our topic today, but it is obviously something that I feel very strongly about, seeing as it is the thing that I have dedicated my life to and I've been so honored to get to lead uh, for the last few years here at Real Life, and that is going to be the topic of worship. So I'm really excited, not just about worship that we see in this place on Sundays. While it is so amazing and it's so important, right? It's so important that we gather as believers and worship as one. And so I'm grateful to those of you that are in the room today and that have done that. But worship is more than just what we see here on Sunday mornings. This is really just the overflow, or at least it should be, of a lifestyle of worship. And so if you don't know how do I create a lifestyle of worship, you're in the right place, because that's exactly what we're gonna talk about, more than just our physical expression of worship, but also how we can uh, position ourselves and posture ourselves in worship in the spiritual as well. It's so, so, so important. That's really where it starts. Um, I wanted to sit today because I feel like for as many years as I've spent on this stage, I still get nervous because I'm so used to singing at you guys and so not having like my, my comfort mic in front of my face. So this is such an important message that I figured I'll just sit because then it's like we're just having a conversation, right? I'm just talking with my family. I'm talking with my friends. So that's what we're going to do today. Um, I'm going to go off script just for a second, but um, I don't think it's a coincidence that I was asked to talk about this in particular so close to this season of life that I'm walking into. I think by now it's no surprise that I'm moving very quick. Cue Bailey's. <laughs> this poor guy has heard me talk about the fact that I'm moving so much. So I love that joke never gets old. But yes, obviously, you know, uh, the weeks are just getting shorter and shorter. And so, um, most likely this is the last time that I'll stand or I'll sit, I guess, in front of you guys to talk to you. And so how good is God that he's, he's given me this word and that he's given me this, this topic to talk about that is so near and dear to my life. I'm not gonna cry. I'm not gonna cry. No one cry. If I see a single tear, I'm out. <laughs> I can't look at Tori. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think it's just really, really special that I get to talk about this because I really think um, this new season that not just me, but that you, that real life is going into, is gonna be really big. And I think it's important that I get to talk about this, but you also can hear my heart on this matter. Worship is not circumstantial, and it's not based on a person. It has absolutely nothing. While I am grateful for the gift, and I'm so grateful for the calling that God has put on my life, and I'm grateful for all the time that I've got to be in this house, right, and to utilize it. I'm not it. Adriel's not it. Our entire worship team, we're not 
it. We're not the thing that carries the Holy Spirit or invokes the presence. And it's really important that we know that. So as we go run towards transition, I don't want us to be afraid of that. If there is any voice of the enemy that's in your head that's saying like, oh no, what are we gonna do? Or what's it gonna be like in here? I'm not the one that sets that tone. It's you. So you can take me out of the equation and I promise you that when you walk in here on Sundays, that same Holy Spirit, that same sweet presence that you feel in this room right now will be just as strong and just as powerful. And I need, I need you and I need us to walk into that boldly. Run towards it. Don't bring fear, don't bring doubt. Pray over your worship team. Pray over your sanctuary teams. There are people that have dedicated an unlimited amount of hours to working extra hard that, so that you get to walk in week after week after week. And no matter what's been going on, right? No matter what your week looked like, no matter what the situation is, you know that you're gonna walk into this place at 10 a.m., maybe 10.15 for some of you. <laughs> Who are we kidding? <laughs> My favorite thing ever is starting service with like seven people. And by the end of the first song, now we've got like 100. It's, it's really cool to watch that happen. So whatever time you walk into this place on a Sunday, you know what you're gonna walk into, right? You know you're gonna walk into strong, anointed worship. You know that you're gonna receive a word from the Lord, from your pastors, right? All of those things, there are people that are working to get rid of any distraction so that you can come in and you can just enter right into his presence and, and not have to worry about, is it gonna be too loud today or too soft today? Am I gonna like the song? Am I gonna know the song? All of those little things. There are people in this room that are making that happen for you every week. And so please pray for them through this transition as well. The enemy's gonna go after them and put fear into them as well. Our leader is leaving us. What are we gonna do? That's not on us, that's on God, and he absolutely has it all under control. So pray for these teams and for these people, for their hearts to, to feel comforted and, and to be seen and, and taken care of as, as we go forward. But man, what's ahead for this church is amazing. I, I sensed it the second I felt God call me from this place. I felt immediate peace and confidence almost jealousy of knowing that what's about to come is going to be so much bigger and so much greater than anything that I've been a part of yet. And you get to be a part of that. You get to usher that in. And what a gift that is. So be excited for the future. Be excited for what's to come. We still have a few more weeks, uh, but man, I, the best is always ahead. And that's never a phrase that I use lightly or that is just like a cute little church phrase. The best is always ahead with Jesus, is it not? It really is, and, and that's where we are right now. So um, I went off script. Sorry, Angie, but I wanted just for you guys to hear my, my heart. If I don't get a chance to talk with you before I go, I really believe that the best is ahead, and, and I'm so grateful for this house and, and for the years that we have spent cultivating a, a place of true worship. Man, I don't know about you, but I've been in churches or I've been in situations or, or circumstances where you can sing great songs, and this is a lot of what we're gonna talk about today, but it's dead in the house. 
And I am so happy that I can say that that is not this house, that this house is alive, that this house is just overflowing with love and with life and with, with the Lord first and foremost. And we've spent time together getting to create that. And I'm so thankful that I got to be a part of that. But now take that and run with it because God's got so much more for you. Stand in confidence in that. Amen? Amen. All right, now I'll go to my notes. How about it? So like I said, I don't feel like I'm a master of this, and so a lot of my preparation for today has been the Bible. You're gonna hear so many scriptures today and read a lot of scriptures, so just like look alive. If you're taking notes, um, you can jot them down, or my notes are on, live on the app right now, so you can, you can utilize those all week. I looked to the Bible because that's my source, that's our source for all knowledge, right? Um, and then I also used this book by Derek Prince, is Christy Heath in the house? Is she here? Yeah, there you are, that little wave. So uh, I have the pleasure of getting to dog sit for the Heath family whenever they go away. Little Susie, well, not little Susie. <laughs> if you know Susie, you know. She's not little. But I absolutely adore her. And every time I stay, Christy has left a different Derek Prince book for me to read. And it's just so sweet. And this was the first one that she ever left for me. And it's about worship. And so I have such great memories. It was a little over a year ago, I want to say now. But just great memories of uh, sitting out on their beautiful deck and drinking coffee and reading this book and learning so much uh, more about worship. And so I would highly encourage, if I can pick it up, there it is. I would highly encourage you to look into this book or look into Derek Prince if you haven't read him already. Christy Heath and I are big fans of him, yes? Yes, so I, I look to this book for just some more um, maybe in-depth discussion that we're gonna have today. And it's kind of a combo of, of the Holy Spirit of the Lord's Word first, Derek Prince, and then you'll hear from me as well. Is that okay? Awesome. All right. So worship, it is one of the main themes in the Bible, right? We see it everywhere. We read about it, and it's extremely important to our life as believers. However, a lot of Christians, maybe even some of us in this room, we might not have a real full understanding of the true nature of worship. So what we sometimes think about when we hear that word, what comes to mind? Maybe corporate worship, right? You think about what happens here on a Sunday morning. We sing songs together, we clap our hands, we shout, we jump. Maybe we, if, if I ever saw a person jump during worship, I would be like the happiest person on the planet. You could, you could send me off knowing I've seen it all. <laughs> but those are things, you know, images that come to mind when we think about worship. But here's the thing. If that's our frame of reference, if that's the only thing that we think of, then unfortunately we have really only begun to scratch the surface of what true and real worship is. So before we talk about all of those physical expressions, all of those things that we see on the outside or that we experience together, we first need to look inside at where real worship actually starts, and that's gonna be in our heart. So what is worship? Put as simply as I can, worship is more than just an action or a behavior. It is true and authentic worship that starts within the heart. So that's where we're gonna camp out for today. Now, whenever we come into the presence of God, he requires that we bring gifts or, or sacrifices, right? We read about that a ton in the Old Testament. A lot of times that can mean money or material possessions. 
But on a higher level, there are also spiritual gifts that God requires of his, his followers to bring to him. And those three gifts, you're gonna see them on the screen, are thanksgiving, praise, and worship. Familiar terms, yes? We hear them all the time. Honestly, I think they're used interchangeably a lot of the time as well. Thanksgiving can be praise, praise, thanksgiving, all of them are worship. Now they all have a distinct meaning and a distinct purpose, but they can blend together a lot of the time. So when I think about these words, imagine a rainbow in the sky, not like a picture rainbow, right? Imagine a rainbow in the sky. So you can see red is red, orange is orange, so on and so forth, right? Your eyes can identify all of the colors of a rainbow, but have you ever noticed that you never see a definitive line in where one color stops and the next one starts, right? They blend together, all to create one beautiful picture that we see as a rainbow. They all have a purpose in it as well. It wouldn't be a rainbow without red, orange, yellow, green, blue, purple, right? but you never really see when they start and when they stop. So it's the same with these three spiritual gifts, thanksgiving, praise, and worship. Here's how we can distinguish them just very easily. You'll see these on the screen as well. So thanksgiving, it relates to God's goodness. Praise relates to God's greatness. And worship relates to God's holiness. Now, holiness, think about that word for a second. So it's kind of a class of its own. It's kind of like in its own area. Holiness is an attribute of God, and it's difficult for the human mind to comprehend truthfully and truly what holiness is or what it means because there is no parallel for it on earth. Does that make sense? So what I mean is wisdom, for example, the wisdom of God. So we believe and we've seen the wisdom of God because we know wise people right? We, we know people who carry the wisdom of God, the greatness of God. We've seen it because we know great godly people. We've encountered them. Power, the power of God. Man, we believe in the power of God because we've seen demonstrations of his great power, right? So apart from God, there is no earthly example of holiness. Does that make sense? It's unique to only God and then to those who he has given it to, those that have received it from him. So I believe that true worship, a lifestyle of worship, it starts with holiness. But because it's hard to understand, it can then be hard for us to fully enter into worship with the Lord. Of the three gifts, worship can be the most difficult for us to bring or that would maybe be acceptable to God. You see, thanksgiving and praise are primarily utterances of the mouth, right? Think about it. When we praise, go into his, his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. We sing, we lift our voice, we shout, all those things. But our worship, our worship is an attitude. That starts within. So we have to understand that first before we can go any farther. Now, I want us to take just a couple minutes to break down these three gifts, just to give a little bit more background, some scripture reference, because that's so important, on praise, thanksgiving, and then finally on worship. Our first one, if you're taking notes, is praise. 
Now, praise is another thing that we see weaved throughout the Bible, literally from Genesis to Revelation. You will read about praise. It's eternal. So that means that its origin is in heaven. Right now, all of the creatures of heaven, all of the beings, all of the angels, they are praising the Lord ceaselessly right now, never ending. That's what they are bringing to God. And because of that, because of this unending attitude of praise, they now have uninterrupted access to God, which is fully available to us. If we create our, in us a lifestyle of praise, of thanksgiving, and of worship, constantly giving, giving God the praise that he deserves because he deserves all of our praise, you have uninterrupted access to the Father. How incredible is that? We see praise is associated with earth from the very, very beginning. In Isaiah, I'm sorry, in Job, in Job 38, this is a question. God challenges Job with this. This is what he says. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? While the morning stars sang, do you catch that? And all the angels shouted for joy. It's such a beautiful picture. It was praise. Praise set our planet into motion. And now it is our responsibility to continue to carry that into all of the ends of the earth, really until heaven and earth are no more, until we are all together before the throne of God. Can you say amen? Amen. All right, number two is thanksgiving. Again, we're going to look to the Bible. So Hebrews 12, 28, you'll see it on the screen. It says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be, what do you see? Thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Let us be thankful. The New King James Version says, let us have grace. And what I learned as I studied that a little bit more is that both of those translations are correct. They mean the same thing. To have grace in the Greek translation has the exact same meaning as the term thank you. So what does this show us? It shows us that there is a direct connection between grace and the grace of God and thankfulness. This means... An unthankful person is outside of the grace of God. So you can't come into his house or you can't come into his presence unthankful for things in your life or living from a place of negativity and, and not feeling grateful for what you have. You can't operate there, but then also think that you are in God's grace, in his presence. They can't, they can't work that way. If you're going to be thankful, you have the grace of God. Okay, let's talk a little bit more practically. This is a, a cool thing that I read in, in Derek's book. So three of the world's romance languages are all, they all reveal a direct connection between these two things, between grace and between thankfulness. This first one I'm gonna show you on the screen. In French, thanks be to God, translates to this. I can't say it, and I'm not even gonna try to. I know my lane, and it's not speaking French, but <laughs> thanks be to God translates to that beautiful phrase that you see. Now, before we put up the next one, I'll quiz you guys on the next two. In Italian, 
Where are all my Italians at in the room? Okay, one. <laughs> Two. It's like, oh, man. <laughs> all right. The word for thank you in Italian is? Grazie. There it is. Yes. Okay, how about this one? Maybe this one will be a little bit easier. In Spanish, the word for thank you is? Thank you, there you are. Oh man, I thought I was talking to myself for a minute. All right, so gracias, yes. Now think about those words, and you can even just keep that one there for a second. What's similar in all three of those words? Yes, wow, so good. I honestly didn't think you were gonna say it back. That makes me so happy. <laughs> the, same, the same term in all three of these things. These are global languages, and any time that we say thank you, thanks be to God, we are saying grace. Grace equals thankfulness. He made it so simple for us. We cannot separate the two. What do we say before we eat a meal? Who wants to say grace, right? You hear that all the time. We grow up saying that. Now you're always going to think when you say it, am I truly thankful? We're literally going to say grace and the first thing that we say is, God, thank you for this meal. Thank you for the hands that prepared it, right? It's all clicking. I love seeing the nodding of the heads. It makes sense. Okay, so now I wanna take us to this passage in Psalms 95. We're just gonna jump all over the place. This depicts the progress into worship, I love this, and it says, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation, amen. Come on, somebody. Do you notice that it doesn't say, come, let us whisper for the Lord. Let us speak softly to the rock of our salvation. No, what does it say? Come, let us sing for joy. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. There's victory in that. These are intentional phrasings in the Bible. They were put there for a reason, and we are to take them to heart. I hate to be the one to tell you this, but it's only gonna get louder. <laughs> Heaven is not going to be quiet. If it's loud now, it's gonna be loud for all of eternity, so we might as well get used to it. Now, when we come into God's house, when we enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, that's Psalms 100, we lift our voices. We lift our voices. I mean, really, think about what we read earlier. What did we read in Job? The morning stars did what? They sang together. And the angels did what? They shouted for joy. So lift your praises when you are with the Lord, not just corporately. Yes, I love to get together and I love to sing with you, but lift your voice when you are spending time with the Lord. Talk to him. Use your voice when you are in his presence. Truthfully, if we're bringing half-hearted praises to God, don't even bother. If you can't bring him all of your praise, don't even bother. He's worthy of it all. Don't put on a show. You're not fooling anyone. Bring your best to the Lord because he deserves all of our praise. Honestly, when you're in the valley, praise him even more. Sing even louder. Get to the altar. I feel like I'm jumping ahead and I'm gonna hate myself for it later, but one of the classic things that we do when life gets hard, you've seen it, we've done it ourselves, we might do it in the future, or we've seen people that we love do it. 
when life gets hard, what's the first thing that we take off the calendar? I heard it, church. Why do we do that? <laughs> this is the place to be when things get tough. These are the people to be around. These are the words that you need to be declaring over yourself. I'm gonna tell you right now, the second life gets hard, the devil is waiting in the shadows and gonna whisper in your ear and tell you, don't go back to church, people know what you did. They know the situation that you're in. They're going to judge you or they're gonna think poorly of you. We listen. And that's all it takes. It just takes that one moment to pull you and make you isolated, make you vulnerable to more attacks of the enemy. Please hear me. And you're gonna have to tell yourself this again and again and again because some of us might be on the mountaintop right now and that's great, good for you. But realistically, as long as we are on this side of eternity, you will hit a valley. Things that are out of your control, things that you did not see coming are going to come. So we need to practice now reminding ourselves, I gotta push through that. I need to run towards the church. I need to run towards the altar. I need to lift my hands more in worship or sing even louder and declare these things over my life. You do that, you are putting on the full armor. You are calling up the army that is fighting on your behalf. The victory that is already won for you, that's what you do. It might not wash it all away. I'm not saying that it's gonna take the pain. I'm not saying that it's gonna take the hurt. Those of us who know, know, right? But it's consistent. We believe even when we cannot see. That is what our faith is rooted on. And I can tell you time and time and time again, we hear the victory stories of, man, I was broken. I saw no hope. I saw no way of reconciliation in this, but God. And those people, those people were faithful to the house. And they now are living in the victory and in the overflow of God's goodness. So run to the house. Can I hear an amen? Amen, thank you. All right, so what have we learned so far? We learned that praise and thanksgiving, they are the first steps towards worship. But listen, they're not the end and they're not even the goal. It's gonna be true worship. That's that attitude, that's the end goal. That's where we're getting. Praise and thanksgiving are gonna set us up to now enter into worship, yes? So number three, this is our next one, is worship. Ding, ding, ding. When we come into contact with when we become aware of or have a revelation of the holiness of God, we're going back to holiness, there is only one appropriate response. It's to worship. Without this revelation, we cannot truly worship him. We absolutely cannot. You can have a song service, right? You can come into church and you can sing some really pretty songs, but until we have that revelation, however big or small it might be for you, it doesn't matter, it has to be the holiness of God that activates a lifestyle of worship. But here's the thing, we said it earlier, the holiness of God, it can't be explained. It can't even be defined. It can only be revealed. Holiness is the essence of what God is. It is everything, everything about him is holy. So in order for us to understand holiness truly, who do we have to really understand first? We have to understand God, who he is. What is he made up of? We talk about him a lot, but do we really know all of the sides, the nature of who he is? In order for us to have holiness, we've gotta know that first. 
So that's what we're gonna do. Number one, you already see it. I'm gonna plug just really quick again, these next, we're gonna talk about the seven attributes of God. There's scriptures that go along with each one of these things. These are so important. I didn't come up with these. The seven attributes of God are something that have been around from the very, very beginning. If you don't know these, I encourage you to write them down or please look back at the notes that are on the app. My notes will be there from now until Friday. Write these things down and take time to study the nature of God. You will see the, the word and you will see God come to life in a whole new way when you study and when you dedicate yourself to understanding more of who he is. Also, I'm gonna just like fix this table. Does anyone else see it really moving on me? That is not, that is no bueno. Okay, let me move. Just gonna back up. Bear with me. Okay, number one, you might see it, maybe not. God is light. This is our first attribute. First John 1.5 says this, this is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. So straightforward. He not only created light, he is the light. Amen? Amen. I'll fly through these. Number two, God is love. 1 John 4.16 says, God is love. Very straightforward again. We love that. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. We cannot worship with a full understanding of holiness without knowing what real love is, and that's God. There is no earthly example of love that is ever going to satisfy you like the love of our God. For God so loved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved. It's important to always remember that. Number three, God is justice and judgment. Deuteronomy 32, three through four. I will pre proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock, his works are perfect. All of his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is he. So good. Sometimes we can accuse God of injustice, right? In, in certain situations in life, you know, when things are not going good. But we see clearly that God is just. It's impossible for him to be the injustice that is in our lives. It's not him. That can be really hard to hear, right? Because if that's true, then why do bad things happen? Why do we hurt? Why do we loss, lose? Why do we mourn? It's hard to just hear that or read that and say, well, just remember, it's not God. He's not, he's not the injustice in your life. We have to go back to remembering something very important that God gave us in the very beginning, and that was free will. So the second that God steps in to earth and stops something or, or prohibits something from happening, the second that happens, the second we lose our free will, the second he becomes a dictator, and that's never how he intended it to be. Everything would change if it happened that way. It can be really, really difficult to stand up here, to sit up here and say that, oh, he works all things out for his good, 
If you're on the other end of that, you're like, how could this be good? How could this turn good? I hear you. I'm with you. I'm not, I don't wanna just sugarcoat or just blow past the fact that there are things in our life that we deal with or that we come face to face with that are very, very difficult. But please know it's not God that is causing an injustice in our life. He's always just. So you might not see that on this side of eternity. We might not see that here. I can assure you, you will see that when you stand with him face to face. You will see that completeness and you will see that wholeness in eternity. It will be worth it to spend the rest of our days. It's honestly hard to talk about eternity, to even begin to conceptualize what that will be like. Our life here is a blink in comparison. And so we run towards that, we hold on to that. That's the goal. Next, four, staying in a similar uh, feel. God is anger and wrath. This is very important. Nahum 1-2 says that the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and vents his wrath against his enemies. Now, this is a side of God that a lot of Christians or a lot of churches don't wanna talk about because it's not cool and it's not trendy or it's not comfy to talk about God taking vengeance on anyone or anything, but it's very much the truth. I would be doing you a disservice if I just neglected to talk about this side of God's nature. It is a part of who he is, so we have to acknowledge it, this eternal judgment that is a part of him. Uh, This book that I mentioned by Derek Prince was published in 2006, I believe, And he wrote then of the world being much kinder to the criminal than to the victim. And honestly, 20 years later, I would say that that is still very much the case. Why do we think that is? Why do we see a world or a culture that wants to show mercy to the criminal and not the victim? Because we don't wanna judge. What do you hear all the time? No judgment. You do you, I'm gonna do me. I'll just mind my business, you mind yours, right? We don't wanna judge. But deep down, we're kidding ourselves because the reality is we all know that if there is judgment for somebody else, which there is, what does that mean? That means that there is also judgment for me, for us. And we don't like that, that's uncomfy. That's a side of, of you know, Western civilization church culture that we don't wanna talk about. We wanna feel comfy and we wanna feel cozy when we leave church. But what game are we playing at if we don't talk about this? These very real sides of God, you have to understand them and you have to accept them in order to live a lifestyle of worship. Now, moving along in maybe a different direction, our next one, God is mercy and kindness, loving kindness. Psalm 51, one says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. This is a prayer that David prayed when he was in a time of serious distress. My man had goofed, okay? This happened, he cried out to God in this moment right after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba, one was his first goof, 
And at the same time, people discovered that he was responsible for the order to kill her husband, Uriah. So he goes to God, according to your loving kindness. Now this, this is a reference of God's covenant keeping faithfulness. So basically what David was saying in that moment was, God, you've committed yourself to forgive me if I meet the conditions, right? So I'm appealing to you on that basis. Y'all, we can approach him the very same way. David was known as a man after God's own heart. And he messed up so bad. We read about it in scripture to this day. But what did he do? The story didn't end there. The story didn't end with him just falling into sin or falling into temptation, committing this terrible act. Like he got all messy there for a minute. No, he didn't just stay there. He went to God and said, I know the truth of your covenant-keeping faithfulness. Have mercy on me, O God. Blot out my transgressions. We have to know that that's the God that we serve. There is freedom for you. There is freedom when you go to him and you lay down. You are honest and you are open about whatever it might be. Don't push it down. Don't try to compensate for it or don't try to, try to pretend like it didn't happen. Bring it to God. He will blot out your transgressions. We are all in this place worthy. It is available to us. Salvation, forgiveness. It is fully available to those who ask for it. You cannot ask. You can't have it if you don't ask, right? It's good. Okay, our next one. God is grace. Hebrews 4.16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Amen. Now, another question. There are two things in that verse. You can leave it up there. There are two things in that verse that we cannot earn. What are they? Grace and, and mercy. We need mercy for the past and we need grace for the future, right? It is only by God's grace that we can become the kind of people that he requires us to be. It has to be with him. Now we've got one more attribute, and this is one that is another. We'll see so many examples of this all throughout scripture, but for the sake of time, we're just gonna focus on one. This last one is that God is power. Ooh, I love this. This, like, this gets me hyped up every time I read it. Psalms 93, 4. Mightier than the thunder of the great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Amen. Holiness. It is the total being of God. It is all of these things. He is light. He is love. He is justice and judgment. He is anger and wrath, mercy and loving kindness. He is grace and he is power. He is all of those things. We have to know them in order to truly worship. Now this is something really cool. Holy is the only word that is used three times of God in the same sentence, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Some of you are gonna be very familiar with these verses. The first one that we read is in the Old Testament, in Isaiah, the seraphim cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, amen. And then again, in the New Testament, we read in Revelation, 
This is what the living creatures and the elders fall down and cry. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Amen. There is a significance in the threefold repetition of those holies. Holy is the Father. Holy is the Son. Holy is the Spirit. Incredible. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, these simple phrases and the revelation that they bring to us. Holy is the Father. Holy is the Son. Holy is the Spirit. Very necessary for us as believers to know and to operate from. Now, true worship, authentic worship, it has to be a response of all of these things. We thank God because we're grateful for what he's done. Yes, we praise God and we acknowledge his greatness, but that cannot be the end. If we stop there, we're just singing another song or we're just attending another service. You might be having a good time, you might feel good, but it can't stop there. We haven't really found the heart and the purpose of God without these things. There's always going to be something inside of us that is crying out because we were created to worship. We were created as living beings to worship, to worship God. That might not be the case, right? That could be honestly a whole other sermon in and of itself that I definitely don't have time for today. But I would encourage you, spend time with the Lord. What are you worshiping? Because if it's not God, it's something or it's someone. And those things of earth, that thing that you wake up in the, the morning and you think, I can't go through my day without X, Y, Z, that's the thing you're worshiping. It's taken the place of the Father. And you have to submit that to the Lord because the reality is all the things of this earth are gonna fall away. Love it all you want while you're here for the blink of an eye that we spend on this earth. It's not gonna go with you. So if God's not on the throne, if God is not the thing that we are created and that we are designed, that we live to worship, nothing else matters, nothing else. Okay, that was a lot. You all with me? I'm gonna get way more practical now really quick. I'll just fly through. Caroline's with me. I love that. <laughs> Oh, lover. Okay, we're going to get really practical now. So we've identified the spiritual importance of worship. And that's first and foremost. Please hear me. We have to understand those things in order to worship. There are also physical expressions of worship. Yes? Yes. Okay. Worship is not motionless. You have to hear me. There's no such thing as worship where our bodies make no response. Worship is active. If you don't believe me, that's fine. I'm gonna spend the next five minutes pointing us to scripture to prove you wrong because it absolutely is an action and a movement. This is, weirdly enough, this next part I read in the book, but the first time that I ever made this realization was when I was at ministry school, and it absolutely changed the way that I think about worship or I approach God in how I worship. Every word that describes worship in the Bible also describes a posture of the body, without exception. We're gonna talk about three of them today. There are more, from your head to your toes, but I would encourage you to look those up and spend time. Every action of worship, how we posture ourselves, every example that you read in the Bible 
is attributed to a part of our body. It's so cool how we posture ourselves when we worship absolutely matters. And I don't, again, just mean corporately. I mean privately as well. These are gonna be really important things for you to put into action when you are spending your own quiet time with the Lord. But how we posture matters. I'm gonna give you an example. So we just sang, us. what did we open service with today, right? That song, I Thank God. We love that song. Julie, you love that song? You love that song. Okay, so I sing this one to you guys all the time. Can you imagine if I came up here and started our service and I stood like this? He picked me up, turned me around, placed my feet on solid ground. I thank the master, I thank the savior, I thank God. Oh, can you imagine? What would you guys do? You see me jumping around. Julie, you're jumping around in your pew every time we sing this song. No, I'm like moving my body, right? So when we do this, this is more, less spiritual, more just practical. This is a closing off of yourself. This is like an, it's an act of protection. It's, it's honestly subconscious, but think about it. If you're in an uncomfortable position or you're in a place where you're not super comfortable, one of the first things that we can do is cross our arms. It makes us maybe feel safe. All the time, if I'm in a group setting, I'm like, I don't know what to do with my hands. I don't know what to do with my arms. So sometimes it's just more natural to do this, right? I get it. When you worship, don't do this. Because subconsciously, you're not posturing yourself to receive. When you cross your arms, you stiffen or you tighten. Let him hang. Lucas, I'm so sorry. You're smirking over there because I saw this man crossing his arms in worship a couple weeks ago. And, and I told him afterwards, I was like, man, I saw you right in the middle of worship. And I thought, we're doing bad. He's like, he's not feeling it at all. So I'm so sorry. But he knows. <laughs> the second I said it, he was nodding his head. And I don't mean it for me. I know I joked that it was about me, but really it's about, it's about you. It's about how you can experience the presence of the Lord. Just Position yourself a little bit better. Relax, relax. You're in the house of God. You're around friends or you're standing with your family. It's those little things. It's such a small, small act. But if you loosen up, I'm not saying you gotta run around like a crazy person, but like loosen up a little bit and you're softening your, yourself and your spirit to receive from the Lord. Again, you don't have to run around. You don't have to do all those things. That can be just a distraction to the Lord. And again, that's another whole message in and of itself. But let's talk about ways and how we can use our body to posture ourselves in worship. First, this is the head. Yes, the head. What action involves your head in prayer or in worship? What do we say? Yes, I heard it. We, when we pray, we say, will you close your eyes and bow your heads? This is intentional. In Exodus, Moses and Aaron are returning from the desert to bring word to the enslaved nation of Israel that God has come, he's come down and he's committed to deliver them from the Egyptians. Breaking news, this was like really great for them, obviously. So this is what we read after they hear this. This is their response in the book of Exodus. So the people believed, that powerful right there, first sentence, so the people believed. They believed what they'd been told. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed their heads and worshiped. Old Testament, baby, right in the beginning, we see this very important example of what we do when we posture before the Lord, when we go before the Lord, they bowed their heads. Look, it's a very simple act, but it's very, very effective. 
in our times of worship, in your times of prayer, on your own time. I just practically, don't pray with your head up. Pray with your head down. It's small, but it's effective. It's a posture. I'm not the one telling you this. You're gonna read it in the Bible. This is what God is showing us on how we should position ourselves before him. Up next, the hands. One of the world's greatest worshipers was King David, right? Who we just talked about. He gave us two postures of our hands that represent worship. The first one, Psalm 63, four, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live and in your name, I will lift up my hands. Number two, still in Psalms 143.6, I spread out my hands to you. I thirst for you like a parched land. There's a significance in these two unique postures. When you lift up your hands, you're acknowledging God's majesty and his sovereignty. When you spread them out, you're telling him that I am open to receive. What's another act of, that involves your hands when you think of worship? Yes, thank you, Tori. You're nailing all of them today. She didn't see my notes before this, I promise. <laughs> Clap, yes. Psalms 41, I'm sorry, 47.1. Clap your hands, all you nations. Here's another word again. Shout to God with cries of joy again and again and again. I'm gonna remind you of these things. So on Sundays... When we are clapping for like, listen, we clap for like one song here at Real Life, okay? We're really, we're giving it to you pretty easily. Please don't look like it's the worst thing I've ever asked you to do. I'm not asking you to clap for me. I'm asking you to clap for him. This is another thing that will loosen you up. You're preparing yourself for worship. There is intent behind everything that takes place. If you didn't know, now you know. It's not just because, oh, everyone always does this, or it's a hype song, so we clap. No, you're gonna loosen up. Clap your hands. You're moving, right? Does that make sense? I'm not asking you to do it just because it's fun and trendy. I'm doing it for your benefit to prepare you and posture you to worship before the Lord. So worship is not rigid. It's not just something that happens when you're still, but it's an activity of the entire body. And I've just got one more for you, our knees. Heads, shoulders, knees, I'll just stop there, and toes. <laughs> Who's familiar with the story of Daniel? Daniel in the lion's den, yeah? Usually pretty, pretty well-known story. So really quick, if you don't know, I'll just set the scene. The king that was ruling at the time of Daniel's life had made a new decree that if anybody worshiped anyone or any God besides him, and he found out about it, you'd get thrown into the lion's den, right? So Daniel finds out about this, and this is what we read in the book of Daniel. This is his response, it's incredible. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed giving thanks to God, just as he had always done before. That gives us another great example, just as he had always done before. Prayer was a routine for Daniel. Prayer should be a routine for us as well. He heard about this not so good thing, and what was the first thing he did? He got on his knees and he prayed just as he'd always done before. He had a regular practice of prayer and of kneeling down before the Lord. Now in the New Testament, in Ephesians, the apostle Paul wrote, for this reason, 
I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Kneeling, bowing your knees, this is an act of total submission, and that is very important when it comes to our relationship with the Lord. Submission is not a word that a lot of people, Christian or not, like to hear or like to receive. Maybe it makes you feel weak or it makes you feel like you're not in control. We wanna submit to God when God does things that we like, but as soon as he does something that we don't like, that's when we complain, we get argumentative, or we get upset. So going back to the beginning, when life gets hard, the first thing that we do, right? We stiffen up and we don't wanna go to church. So this concept, maybe you're spiritually bowing, maybe when, when troubles come, trials and tribulations, that act of submission, fall on your face before the Lord, get on your knees before him. That is not just a physical act. It turns spiritual the minute you submit, the minute you make that action. We talk about this altar all the time. This isn't just a blank space in between the front row and where we are right here. As a matter of fact, when we expanded this stage, the first discussion was, well, let's make sure that we take out a first pew from these two sections so that there's more room at the altar. That's intentional, it's an action. It starts physical, but the second that you come to it, it becomes spiritual. You're telling God, I wanna be as close to you as I physically can on this side of eternity. You don't just come to the altar when your life is falling to pieces. You can come to him when life is going so great and you just come before him, actions. Our faith requires action. Our faith is not routine. I talked about that quite a few weeks ago. It can't just be complacent. It has to require action. That's how we become strong. Jeff, you don't become really fit and really strong just by sitting and doing nothing, right? You have to train to be that way. So it is in our spiritual life. You don't become a super faithful person while just sitting and just going through the motions and then, okay, great, check, came to church, see you next Sunday, no. It requires training and action and getting on your knees before the Lord, lifting your hands. I'm not saying you have to be jumping, in, jumping around all crazy. If that's not you, be you. But doing this is not that bad, actually. <laughs> it's not for me. And it's really barely even for you. It's a gift to God. Look, the reality is at a certain point, God's gonna insist that every living creature in the universe that has knees will acknowledge his total sovereignty. Isaiah 45, 23, before me, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. That's intentional, that wording. See how it all weaves together so beautifully. Every knee will bow. Band, you guys can start to come up. I'm gonna wrap up right here. This is it. Putting a bow on it right here, church. It's important to worship God with your whole body, head to toe, because there's nothing, there is nothing more holy that you can offer to God than yourself. Amen? Amen. How'd we do? Was that good? Yeah? This was like 
such an easy thing for me to, to talk about. I feel like, like I really just got like lobbed that softball because I love getting to talk about worship. I'm telling you again and again and again, this is really just the basics. This is such a simple beginning understanding of what a lifestyle of worship can look like. But if you're wondering, if you're going through life right now and it feels dry or it feels empty or it feels like you're lacking, maybe mentally it's just that go through the motions, start to make these little changes in your life when you pray, when you spend time with God in the morning, maybe tonight before you go to bed and you're gonna pray or you're gonna do your, your devotion at the end of the night, consider kneeling. I, a lot of times will sit on my bed, but I got convicted when I was prepping for this and I thought, man, I used to kneel before the Lord all the time in, in private, you know? Why don't I just do that? And I'm not, it's nothing dramatic. I'm not crying, I'm not broken, but it's just a position to regularly prepare ourselves for, right? Do that. Maybe, you know, be better about raising your hands in private worship when you're at home, when you're praying. I am a, a hand raiser. It's just naturally who I am. It's also a part of my job, right? What did I show you before? If I led worship like this, you're gonna be in worship like this. So my hands are always out to show you the way that it's okay to do that. But in my private life, when I'm alone with the Lord, my hands are out. I wanna receive from you, Lord. I'm not in control, you are. These are things that you can practice that are really going to transform the way that you worship in your life. You will, be, you will create for yourself a lifestyle of worship, of joy. Worship is joy. That's some, one of the many things that I love so much about it. So I like to move around and worship with these guys because it invokes the spirit of joy, the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. Amen? Amen. So I hope that these things will be of value to you guys as you go from this place. Again, I highly encourage you to read. If it's Start with your Bible first and foremost. He's the one. He's the one that you need to get your words from. No person on this earth. But if you want to read something that maybe is just going to add a little pizzazz to what you're already reading in the Bible, please come and talk to me. I'd love for you. I, I'll give you this book if you want it. Christy's got it too. I, I really want to see growth in your life as well. Church, thank you so much. Will you stand really quick? I just want to pray and seal all this over you and then you'll be out of here. Holy Spirit, I thank you so much for this time, for this time that we've spent together to learn and to grow deeper in our worship and our knowledge of who you are, the holiness that is our God. I pray that these words would sink deep into our souls, into our minds, into our spirits, that they will go and be activated in our faith as we walk from this place. God, remind us of these things that we have learned and help us to continue to invoke a beautiful atmosphere of worship in this house, this house that we love, where the best is still to come with you and with you alone. We thank you for all these things in your name. All of his people said, amen, amen. Thank you, church.